Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. reading from the book of Deuteronomy and also the book of Joshua. Amen. As you're standing this week, I've heard a lot of things, whether it be personally or uh, through Facebook, seemingly that uh, the God is not surprised sermon Sunday night. Uh, I know there's there's two ways that people look at this. It's like, man, you preach something like that, you're going to live it. Or I kind of look at it like this way. If you preach something like that, God's preparing you for something that was already coming down the pike. Yes. Not so much as a result of what, what I preached, but as he was just preparing you for what was coming. Amen. Amen. And so different, different people's lives have been touched in some way uh, where they may have been surprised this week. Amen. But God is still so much so. Can you say that he's faithful? He Amen. He is so faithful. Amen to us. And we appreciate him. You're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and Joshua chapter number 1. Amen. Amen. If you, this is an old hymnal, you can, uh, if you want to join your voice with mine in an acapella fashion, it's this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise just to know thus saith the lord jesus jesus how i trust him how i prove him more and more Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood jesus jesus how i trust him how i proved him more and more jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more no for grace to trust him more can we raise our hands to the lord i love you jesus we trust you jesus hallelujah 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 bless his holy name bless his holy name 
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Deuteronomy 31, starting with verse number 6 today. Hallelujah. Moses is speaking and says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For thou must go with this people into the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. The Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. Joshua chapter number one. Moses has spoke these words to Joshua. He has spoke them unto the children of Israel. But now Moses is dead. And so Joshua is just uh, echoing the words that the Lord spoke through Moses in Joshua 1 9. He says, have not I commanded thee be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Can someone say amen? Amen. This morning I'd like to speak on this subject matter, very simple subject, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Can you say that with me? Trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray today. Father, we come to you this morning. God, I pray, O Lord, we know God in whom we have believed. And, Father, it is in you. God, we put our trust and our confidence, Lord Jesus, in you and this house today. God, people, Lord, that are in this building, God, that this week has proved, Lord, some things entering their lives, Lord Jesus, on various levels. I pray, God, today, God, that we, Lord, place and position, Lord, I trust our confidence, Lord, concretely and surely. God upon you today in this house and we Lord God know that there is great comfort Lord just in knowing God who Lord Jesus you are and what you're capable of doing in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen you may be seated this morning in the lovely name of Jesus Christ amen again in the book of Deuteronomy Moses is speaking and whether Moses was speaking to Israel or to Joshua. His words of instruction for them remained the same. It was reoccurrent through the latter part of Deuteronomy in the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. We read these phrases and this this terminology over and over, whether it's coming from the mouth of Moses or that of his successor of Joshua. They're constantly telling the people and perhaps themselves to be strong and of good courage as a matter of fact after Moses has died the one that Israel had put their confidence in and they had given themselves to the leadership of for some 40 years now even after Moses has died Joshua stands in his stead and touts the very same thing be strong and of good Courage. One would think if you begin to consider a nation of Israel such a vastly 
big sized numbered nation you would think that a nation that was birthed in the crucible of affliction would know how to be strong and know how to be of good courage you would think a people that had spent many of their days in the slime pits and making brick and that were disciplined by the rigors of hard labor through times of many years of bondage one would think that they would be the epitome of strength and the epitome of courage. Forty years, the Bible even tells us concerning this nation that they would journey in the wilderness. You would think 40 years traveling in the wilderness, having the hardships and the concerns of the wilderness, that that would somehow reinforce strength in their life, reinforce the ability to survive, that would solidify their courage in their life. I mean, they went through times of no instances of food, no instances of water. They had threats off times in those 40 years through the wilderness that could have possibly ravaged and destroyed a whole nation. Amen. That's how this nation was forged with, with lack of this or lack of that or, or threat of disease and despair upon their bodies. And you would think, how in the world could such a nation not be strong that had endured those things? How could they not be courageous whenever they have generations that they can look back on that were under the thumb, if you will, of oppression and under the thumb of affliction? You would think that would birth children and grandchildren that could handle some hardship and handle some woe. And yet we read as they are getting ready to enter the land of promise that God had guaranteed them that they are stifling now at their conquest of the land that God said is theirs. And we ask ourselves the question, how can this be? Someone say amen. I'm preaching this morning in case no one noticed. Amen. And so with that being said, we have all to some degree have witnessed people in the news, in our own personal lives. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them. But you've witnessed people that at times been insanely courageous. Amen. Not only that, there's people who serve in certain capacities and occupations that would denote them as being insanely courageous. For instance, the firefighters, as everybody else is running out of the building, they're running into the building. So, you know, the insanely courageous idea or concept concerning that. And when we see insanely courageous people, there's something that we must understand. Courage does not arrive by itself. Courage does not arrive alone. Courage oftentimes is fed by trust. A courageous person has a deep-seated trust in something or in someone. While some people have courage in themselves due to their past successes or their past abilities or past personal successes and they have that self-reliance that they have still though other tools or other people that they have in their life, amen, that they depended upon in an hour of need that they trusted in in an hour of need, that helps support, it helps energize their trust. Some people, for instance, may admire a rock climber that, that appears to fearlessly scale some intimidating peak 
speaks across the landscape of our world. And they might look at them and think, man, I tell you what, I, I attribute their action because they, they must have some type of rock solid courage. I, uh, they're a rock climber, but they must have some type of rock solid courage, amen, in order to do what they're doing. But in reality, courage has a foundation that's called trust. Courage has a foundation that is called trust. That climber that's advancing up the side of that mountain and doing so through our eyes very courageously. He's doing that because he trusts his gear. Trust his gear he has over his shoulders and around his belt and those ropes that his hands are upon and the night, the knots that have been taught, tied. And he seems to be very, very courageous. But in essence, it's really because he trusts his gear. The paratrooper that's running, amen, from one side of the plane to the other side of the plane with the door open and goes free-falling out into the sky. He's not even thinking twice now about jumping from that plane because he trusts his gear. And no doubt, I, I agree with you tonight, there, this morning, there is a certain amount of personal courage, amen, that that individual has. But the majority of it is trust. The majority of it is trust. Because I guarantee you, his personal courage would not be as high as it is perhaps as he leaves the plane if he knew his parents parachute was faulty huh amen so there's a certain degree of courage that is no doubt founded in related to dependent upon trust someone say amen and so this past week one of the days of this past week I went to uh, my kids' school to pick them up from school. I don't remember the reason why. That usually don't happen. But I was going to pick them up from school uh, this past week. And while I was waiting for my son at South School to be dismissed from there, I observed while standing there a little blonde-headed boy. It was maybe four years old. And he was there with his father. And most any other time I've ever picked up the kids, he is there with his mother. But this day, he's there with his dad. And a normal pickup day, uh, whenever I'd usually pick up Trevor, and I see this little boy, he's always there, it usually consists of him dropping down on the ground, rolling down the hill to the bottom, getting back up. I mean, he's hysterically doing whatever he does, goes back up to the hill, and he does this over and over again. And before, before usually he drops to the ground and rows, he's always hollering at his mom. He wants mom to see what he's doing. And as a result of that, that gets the attention of everybody else. I, it's great time passer for me to watch him just tumble down the hill and row down the hill. And so he does that most days whenever he's there with his mom. And I must admit to you, there have been times I've caught myself daydreaming about that little boy just tumbling down. It's just relaxing to me, a little boy tumbling down the hill. I've mused about those afternoons of him tumbling down the hill, being so exuberant. And he has a very loud, very loud, raspy voice. And so when he hollers to his mom, it can't but get the attention of everybody else. And whenever he stands up, he's got dried grass, you know, dangling from his coat, clothes and his coat. Or it might be a muddy day. He might have other things. But she just lets him do it. And man, I'm, let him be a kid. That's great. So he's just tumbling down the hill and he always gets up and races back up and does it again. However, this week it wasn't mom that was there. So just start thinking with me. If a kid does this when mom's around, what could he possibly do when dad's around? 
And so he does this. And so since this is not the norm, dad is there. Sure, he took a few tumbles down the hill. You know, you can't break something that got consistent here. You got an audience. People's expecting this every day, you know. And so he does it a couple more times. But dad is there this day. And so Bubba's going to raise the bar. Bubba's going to raise the ante today because dad is there. And so from the school, there's a partial brick wall that extends out from South School. And on one side is the parking lot. And on the parking lot side, the ground is pretty much level all the way across along the brick wall. And then on the other side, the ground slopes off. Meaning that in one place, it's closer to the top, but at the other place, it's much further. Whenever I say much further, it can be easily six feet from the top to the ground. And so this little boy is up there on the parking lot side. His dad is on the sloping side. And this four-year-old, he's probably around four years old. Uh, you know who I'm probably, you see him every day too, Sarah. Amen. That little boy, he climbs up on that brick wall from the parking lot side. And so the father's there on the steep side. And his father, I could see, being cautious, being a cautious, good dad, amen, about the movement of his son. He, he grabs his son's hand while he's standing on top of that, and they walk to the end where, where the wall terminates. They walk to the end, and reluctantly, that boy jumps off because his dad was holding his hand. Reluctantly, that boy jumps off and lands it, amen, and boom, he's just there. He's did it with his dad holding his hand. But, he goes back to where he started at the wall again. And he's getting back up on the wall and he's protesting to dad. Let me do this by myself. I don't need your help. And so he climbs up on his wall. His father's still there. He's, the boy's walking along the top of the wall. The dad's walking. He's not holding his hand this time. He's walking along the wall with the little tyke atop there, not holding his hand. He's just simply there. His presence, dad's presence, is just simply there. And the boy, man, he jumps off the end of that wall. And it's probably about three feet at highest there. He jumps off that wall, lands, and boasts very proudly, I told you I could do it. Now, all of these jumps have taken place at the three foot close to the ground end of the wall. Well, little blonde-headed boy gets back up on the wall. And rather than walking to the end of the wall, he's going to jump from where he starts at, which on his side is the same all the way across. But on dad's side is about six probably feet from the ground. He's expressing to dad, I want to jump. I can tell dad's posture is a little unsettled. I, I, I can tell he's a little unsettled, but I can tell he don't want to disappoint either. And so he is in agreement with this four-year-old boy, Sister Cox, that at the high spot of the wall, you can jump. And without any apparent thought, that little blonde-headed boy, he jumps a few feet horizontally toward his dad, mind you, that high in the air, and his father catches him and puts him down on the ground. I'm telling you, the moment that happened, every mother's head was turned that direction. 
and with bated breath and some of them biting their lower lip. Amen. You could almost cut the tension outside of a school with a knife. I'm telling you right now. And, and I heard gasp of air. I don't think there was any oxygen left. Amen. In the air around. You could hear people <gasps> just bring in that air. That boy jumped. And immediately, I'm I jerked a little bit. Man, I jerked a little bit myself whenever his feet left the top of air. And I was relieved whenever the catch was made. And I heard some lady, some mom, whoever she was, over in the distance, she said that. She said, that little thing is fearless. And I thought to myself, he's fearless because his father is faithful. He's fearless because his father is faithful. What I'm saying today, the production that was laid out before us on that playground that day wasn't the first time some things very similar to that had happened between son and between father. Somewhere, whenever they was back at the house, somewhere in the backyard, that boy had somehow grown and somehow cultivated a trust in his dad. That wasn't his first jump. That wasn't the first time he went for his father's arms. They had done that from high places before before just the same as low places and he knew with confidence when he left that wall dad's going to catch me when he left that wall that his father that's been faithful all the other times is going to be right there can I preach to somebody today that's walking along a place with a little bit of uncertainty, walking along a place with a little bit of intimidation. Perhaps it's a little higher than what it's been before, but you can rethink in your mind every other time I've been in a place that's been similar. Dad's been faithful. The Father's been faithful. And because of that, you trust Him and you put reliance upon reliance upon Him. And you know what you're saying? This isn't going to be any different today than what it was last week. This isn't going to be any different today than what it was yesterday because I trust the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. I trust the Lord. When you can trust, when you can trust a proven father, when you can trust a faithful father, you know what it appears to everybody else. I tell you what, they're fearless. They're courageous. They're strong. Oh, on the surface, that's what it looks, looks like. But in reality, I'm not as strong as you think I am. I'm not as courageous as you think I am. I'm not as fearless as you think I am. The secret to my fearlessness, the secret to my courage, the secret to all of that is that I trust my daddy. I trust my father. And he's been and faithful to me. Someone shout glory. Courage is then greatly hinged on trust. And trust is cultivated by faithfulness. It's cultivated by faithfulness. That's the reason why Moses did not leave the instructions to Israel and to Joshua open-ended by just saying, be strong and of good courage. That's the reason why Joshua did not leave the instruction open-ended and just say, fear not, don't be dismayed. But each of them, amen, put the little disclaimer, if you will, for the strength and for the courage when they said for or if you will because 
the Lord your God is going with you. They said, hey, be strong, be courageous, and fear not. But the Lord your God is going to go anywhere that you go. In other words, when you don't even feel him, just go with the confidence that he is there. I'm telling somebody this morning, be strong, be courageous, be fearless. And you're saying, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Because your courage and your, your, your faithfulness and your fearlessness is all tied to trusting in him. And so if I can stand here today and in the same breath I tell you not fear, I can tell you God's gonna be there and he's gonna be faithful. That changes the dynamics of everything. That changes the mechanics it's one thing for me to tell you to be strong, but if I can tell you to be strong because God's going to be with you, that changes everything. Someone say hallelujah. I said, if you know he's there, even if you can't feel him. That's the truth. Because a little stinker on the wall, second time, dad wasn't holding his hand. But he knew God, he knew dad's presence was there. The third time, little boy climbed up on the wall. Dad wasn't holding his hand. But he knew his, was, his presence was there and watch this. And he felt that presence at the end of it. Someone hear me today? Amen. Amen. Joshua and Moses both gave them the reason behind their courage. It's your faithful father. He's going to be there. If you don't feel him, just let us tell you. He's going to be there. Amen. When this is all said and done, you're going to look back with eyes over your shoulder and understand. He was there all along the way. In other words, the unspoken reality. Amen. That they were trying to talk to these folks about was their trust in him. And that reason, that trust in the Lord, that trust in their God had remained unchanged for hundreds of years. When Moses first returned to Egypt after tending the sheep of his father-in-law on the backside of the desert and had that encounter with the burning bush where God spoke to him, said, Moses, I want you to return to Egypt. I want you to be the deliverer for the children of Israel. Even at that moment in time. Amen. And Moses is going to go back. Amen. And be Israel's deliverer. Amen. He came not to Israel without credibility. He came with credibility. Amen. If you thought for a moment. Now, it seems like a no-brainer, but if you thought for a moment that a nation that was going to be enslaved and encumbered for 400 years, 430 years of bondage, we would have thought the moment someone said, hey, we can get out of here, that they would say, point us in the direction. And we're out. But that's not the way it worked. They were not, they were not so willful to do such a thing. Amen. After being in bondage that long, they were not so willful to do such a thing. And so God assures Moses before he ever left the backside of the desert concerning this. 
He says, you tell them whenever you go there to Egypt, you tell them that I am, that I am have sent you unto them. You tell them that the God of their father Abraham and the God of their father, amen, Isaac, and the God of their father Jacob, you tell them that God has come to bring them out. And the Bible says in Exodus, upon hearing the words of Moses, upon hearing Moses explain to them, amen, that the I am of the I am was going to carry them out, hearing that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was going to carry them out. The Bible says the moment they heard of it, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. And note what the scripture says. When Israel came out of Egypt, the Bible says the children of Israel went out with a high hand. In other words, they went out with some boldness. They went out with some clout. They went out with some self-confidence. Why? Not because they didn't understand they'd been bound for 430 years, but they understood their father, which is faithful, was going to be leading them out, and they trusted and had confidence in that. Someone say amen. And so while they're going out boldly, their adversary over here digging the graves for their firstborn children, as they're going out with a high head, they're over here wiping the tears from their eyes. And Israel appears to be fearless and courageous because their father is faithful. And that boosts their trust. That boosted their trust. Someone say amen. So now 40 years later, they're on the verge of entering the land of Canaan. They're going to go up to seven nations that are greater, Scripture says, and mightier than them. Do you understand what the newspaper is reading for these boys? You're going up to somebody greater than you are and mightier. We're not trying to shave the edge off this. This is the bluntness of it. They're bigger, they're greater, they're mightier than you. Now that's just a little scary. That's a little intimidating. But what I pose is this. How does all that which is scary and intimidating, mightier and greater, how does all of that measure when they learn that their faithful God is going to be there alongside me. How does greater measure when a God with a good track record concerning Israel is going to be there? How does mightier measure in the scale when a faithful God that you have trust in that's been there before is going to be there right now? I'll tell you this morning, it accounts as nothing. It accounts as nothing because the faithful, you hear pastor this morning, because the faithfulness of their father, father was greater than the fear of their foe. The faithfulness of somebody, say that in your mind right now. The faithfulness of my father is greater than the fear of my Somebody needs to leave this place this morning with that ringing in your ears. I'm leaving this building today with a high hand. I'm leaving this building today with confidence. I'm leaving this building today with courage and boldness. Why? Because God is more faithful than my enemy can be fearful. And I'm going to trust in that Lord. Amen, Patty Cake for Jesus, yes. 
Many were amazed in the valley of Elah as David defeated Goliath. They were bewildered that this lad would go forth with just a sling and a stone and simply defeat Goliath, an arch enemy of the Israelites, the champion of the Philistines. They were surprised that David decided not to take Saul's armor and wear his coat of mail or carry his sword or have his helmet upon his head. But David's simple plea was this. I cannot go. I stopped from going with all this because I've not proved them. You know what David is saying? I don't know how faithful these things are. I can't put my trust in them. We have no history together. We don't have no history together. I can't vouch for that armor. I can't vouch for that sword. But I can tell you many days with this old sling. I can tell you many days with the pebbles from the brook I got in my pouch. I can tell you many days, amen, concerning my God. And so David went forth by the eyes of all the people that day while others are cowering. Here comes David. It seems very courageous. Why? Because he trusted in his weapons and he trusted in his God. His weapons have proven faithful and his God had proven faithful on the backside, amen, of a sheep pasture. Amen. David did not come on somebody. David did not show up that day in the valley of Elah and that was his first time to ever take a sling and put it above his head. This was not the first time he ever put a stone in that sling. For that matter, this is not the first adversary Goliath, amen, that David has ever fought in his life. His history has been filled with lions. His history has been filled with bears in his past. So to speak this morning, there's other times that David jumped when God was holding on. And there were other times that he had jumped when God was standing by. And there were even some other times whenever he jumped that it seemed like God was nowhere around but he landed in his arms. the realization of it folks you might not discern his presence where you're walking right now you might not discern his power in what you're going through right now but whenever it's ended when the storm is over you're going to realize something I'm in the arms of God and if I'm in the arms of God he must have been here all along the way I might not have been privy to it I might not have been aware of it but where this thing has ended is in the arms of God I come to preach encouragement to somebody's spirit this morning what you don't feel right now when this thing is over you're going to find yourself resting in the arms of God the Lord someone say amen Amen. you can trust him someone say I can trust him you can trust the Lord and so what stoked David's fearlessness what stoked David's courage Again, was the past faithfulness of his instruments, yes, but probably more importantly, his heavenly father. David knew, I can trust him. I can trust him. David was so assured and influenced by the trust he could have in that faithful heavenly father. Whenever Solomon came along to reign in his stead, 
He wanted Solomon to know as his son that would be the next king. I want to pull back the curtain on life, son, and show you all the junctures in the road because God's been faithful. And I'll read a scripture here in a little bit. And my God is your God. Look, look what David is passing on to his son in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 20. The Bible states these words. And David said to Solomon, his son. Look at the verbiage here. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tells him all this stuff. And then he gives the reason why. The reason why for your courage, the reason why for your strength, the reason why you can be fearless. For the Lord God, David says, even my God will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished. Someone say, hmm. Until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of it's just like any aged father that's bringing a son that's into adulthood and has started, started his own life with its own hiccups and its own woes. And, and just in case that child would think that mom and dad never had those, they, their parents are just pulling back the curtain a little bit as a son is dealing with his own struggles that he's facing in his life. And he just wants Solomon to know, I have had some struggles too, son. I've had some moments that fear tried to grip my heart. I've had some times that my faith was weak and, and that my courage felt quite on the contrary. And could you hear David begin to tell Solomon, begin to retell the stories. I was on the backside of my dad's pasture. There came a line and he just relays the story. On another day, Solomon, there was a bear that was, and he told the story. I went down in the valley of Elah, was just supposed to be checking on my brothers, but there was a man that came out that was a giant, heads and shoulders above all others. And you know what? He said, I went down with the things that I knew and that was proven. Could you just hear him begin to tell the story. Not only that, Solomon, I've suffered at the hands of men. Saul had tried to throw javelins at me and take my life. Solomon, ah, listen to me, boy. There were many days in my life that I spent upon this earth as a fugitive, as a fugitive, running from the very man I'd been an armor bearer for. Somebody hear me this morning. Share with him. Let me tell you, Solomon, I know the grief of loss. I know what it's like to lose children. I know what it's like for a child not even get out of infancy and die. I know what it's like to use lose children that were older in years and they pass on before I even have passed on. I can tell you, Solomon, listen to me, Solomon. I know what it feels like to have the shame of blatant sin I've committed in my life. David could go on and say, Solomon, let me tell you, I know you're coming at this juncture in the road into our life, but let me tell you, our family has not always been hunkadory. Solomon, there's been a lot of dysfunction in our family. Our family's been full of jealousy. Our family's been full of pride. Our family has murder that's just going through all the different branches of, of your brothers and half-brothers. Can you imagine a Solomon with daddy unloading all this stuff? Murder, dad, really? Jealousy? Yeah. You tell me he was almost a giant many times your size? Yeah. 
You tell me you ran for years as a fugitive from somebody who used to protect? Yeah. I mean, there's Solomon there aghast, staring in the distance, almost in disbelief of everything that his dad has just told him. No doubt thinking in his mind and maybe even speaking to his dad. How in the world, dad? How did you make it? How did you make it? And here's David, a much more feebler David than what he once was. <laughs> what his once younger counterpart was. He's telling Solomon, a feeble David in body, is telling Solomon, be strong. Be strong. Have courage. Have courage. Don't fear. Because the Lord, even my Lord, that was at every juncture in the road I just told you about. Even my Lord, even my God. Not a different one, Solomon. But the very same one is going to be with you. And if he was there in my battle, he'll be there in yours. And if he was there when I lost my children, he'll be there if you lose any of yours. And if he was there in the dysfunction of our family, he'll be there in your dysfunction. If he was there when I was running as a fugitive, he'll be, he'll be there whenever you're running. If he was there whenever I committed my sin and had mercy, he'll be there for you. Just be strong. Be trust. Trust in the Lord. Can we raise our hands right now? Jesus, 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 Jesus. And though the Bible records that Solomon's reign was filled with more peace than his father. It was not without his own demons to contend with. In his middle ages, the book of Proverbs, Solomon, of course, authoring the Song of Solomon, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in particular, but Song of Solomon more so in the younger years of his life when fresh love was upon him. And you can read of that Proverbs in the middle ages of his life. And his life is pouring out with Proverbs and wisdom and sentences of, 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 of instruction for everybody. And then Ecclesiastes as an older man, as an older guy that had backslid on God and wished to just uh, adventure out and see what life is without God. In those middle age times, the wisest man, that's what they say, right, Solomon? The wisest man that ever lived. The wisest man asserted unto us the lesson of his father. The lesson that his dad had taught him in Proverbs 3, 5. The wisest man said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own under. The wisest man. The wisest man. I don't know whatever endorsement we need, but the wisest man said, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. But then later in his own life, he would venture out without God. Still having and maintaining the, his wisdom, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes. It was not stripped from him. He still had human wisdom. He still had this wisdom. 
Bible talks about him amassing great wealth, very wealthy men. He had built enterprises. He had built so many things, hanging gardens, so many things that were just wonders, if you will, to people of his culture. And that he built enterprise. He, 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 he just flooded his passions on various women from various places. And while he has done, the wisest man, done all of this stuff in the later years of his life, in the last chapter of, the, of Ecclesiastes, he puts a little footnote in all of the book, but particularly in the last chapter, he puts a little footnote there to us and lets us know that all this other garbage was nothing but vanity, that all these things were empty, all these things were purposeless without God, insomuch that in the last chapter, you know what he says? You know what he says? I've had wealth, I've had women, I've done a lot of enterprise. He says all this junk, no doubt having put his, his trust in some of that wealth, his trust in some of that enterprise, his trust in some of those relationships, but that last chapter, he says this to those that would listen. He said, remember your creator. You know what he's saying? He said the very thing he said before he backslid, trust God. He said the very same thing he said before he actually trust God. Why? He says, I have endeavored to search out what life is like without God. But whenever you don't have the faithful father, you don't have the trust that you once had either. You don't have the trust you once had either. And when you don't have the trust you once had, your courage is not what it used to be. And your strength is not what it used to be. And fear is starting to encroach on your life. And he said, you know what? I've realized through this little enterprise, through this little experience, that God that I told you to trust in my middle ages is the God I'm telling you to trust in my old age. After I've already experienced this world, there's nothing in this world you can trust in as much as in the law. Your wealth won't do it for you. The things you own won't do it for you. Every other relationship won't do it. you got to trust in your faithful father. Right. Some would say amen. Yeah. So he puts a footnote to all that. Trust in the Lord. Folks, I said all that to tell us today. Our trust in God is a major component to our relationship with God. Trust is proven by circumstance. Trust is proven by circumstance. Trust is shaped during times when there is uncertainty that's looming ahead and around. Trust, if you will, is the hub from which all the other spokes extend out. From which all the other spokes are supported by. As a matter of fact, whenever we read in Exodus chapter number 20, and we oftentimes uh, acquaint that with or associate that with the Ten Commandments, the listing of the Ten Commandments, amen, that we've grown to love and appreciate and abide by. But whenever we read Exodus 20, God does not begin with barking orders at the Israelites. He does not begin with the commandments. In fact, the Ten Commandments don't start at all in Exodus 20 in verse number 1. They begin with this, some very reassuring words, before he starts the he says this I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt in other words before he starts with the commands that he would be desirous of them to obey he goes back and tells them about their relationship he says I'm God 
the God that brought you up out of Egypt. In other words, you know what he's doing for those Israelites? He's telling them, you can trust me. And since you can trust me, he says, you can obey me. Since you can trust me, you can obey me. You know what he's saying in this bishop in a certain sense? This isn't our first jump. This isn't our first jump. Someone say amen. For that matter, Israel, this isn't your first jump. And this isn't my first successful catch. See, thrust supports all the other, all the other avenues, all the other spokes. You can obey him because you trust him. You can love him because you trust him. You can follow him because you trust him. You can be strong because you trust him. You can be courageous because you trust him. You can be fearless because you trust him. Why? Because he's been faithful. You can trust him. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going through a time in which he has watched a nation literally die. Around him. He's watched a nation die around him. He's watched Jerusalem be taken by siege. Very horrible scene, of course, that he has witnessed. He has witnessed starvation. He has witnessed literal cannibalism. Women and men eating their own children. He'd witnessed this, but it failed to this level of low. He'd watched Jerusalem, the beloved city, had watched it fall to the Babylonian armies that came in and ravaged it. He'd seen all the different atrocities of war come in his lifetime. And so we see him pick up the pen in the book of Lamentations that Jeremiah is the author of. Lamenting, if you will, over what had happened to Jerusalem. Or even perhaps what he had experienced and been exposed to in his own ministry and life. And he's expressing in Lamentations 3, for instance, he's expressing how almost unbearable his grief is. How, how, how much mourning, he's mourning over all this carnage that his eyes have been exposed to. He's talking about how he's been in the dark places. He's talking about how he'd been desirous for the people to change, but they had not. He's talking about, he's feeling as though his flesh has been ripped apart and his bones have been scattered. He's talking about all this, yet in the middle of Lamentations 3, he writes these words of 321. He's talked about all this stuff for the first 20 verses. All of the mayhem, all of the distress, all of everything that could go wrong went wrong. And he pauses in the middle of the chapter and he says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. That word hope also means trust. Therefore, I have trust. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And look what he says in verse 23. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He said, when I couldn't see you with my eye, when I couldn't feel you with my hand, when seemingly to my understanding you were nowhere to be found, when this thing was all said and done, I was still in the arms of God because I have a faithful father. I can't put my hope, I can't put my trust, I can put my confidence in him. I'm telling somebody this morning, trust the Lord. Some of us have been real similar like that boy on the wall this past week. We've told God we could do it. 
we didn't feel God holding our hand. And we jumped. Here's the reality. Whenever we jumped, that doesn't mean we did it all by ourselves. It simply means we believed we could do it because we trusted his presence was there. It's not that you did it all by yourself. It's just that you did it because you trusted that his presence was there. And if necessary, you hear him, Pastor, this morning. If necessary, let me tell you, that daddy was standing there when his son was six feet off the ground. And he was going to make that horizontal jump being that high off the ground. Don't you tell me for a moment. Don't you tell me for a moment. That if that boy jumped and miscalculated where he was supposed to be landing. Daddy would have stood there and let him hit the ground. Don't you tell me for a moment. That boy jumped, and he had trust in his father because he knew even if I miscalculate this thing and it's a little bit to the right or left, dad's going to reach out his arms. Dad's going to reach out his arms, Sister Sharon, and he's going to, I know it feels like I'm doing it by myself, but if dad needs to intervene, I know dad's here to intervene. Can somebody hear what I'm telling you this morning? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You might be ready to jump right now, and he's not holding your hand, but I guarantee you, if there's been a miscalculation on your part, or this thing seems like it's going to go belly up, he's right there in arms distance to reach out. Trust! Trust in the Lord. Yes. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why, Job, did you say that? Because Job had a relationship with God. Job was acquainted with the faithfulness of his father, and he trusted him. He trusted him. He knew he knew what was happening right now in his life according to the history of his life. He knew what was happening was out of the norm. He knew what was happening was unique and peculiar. But he also knew, I trust God. We have a relationship. I know who he has been. And if this is how he's been in my past and now there's something that's happening out of the norm, then there must be reason and there must be purpose. Amen. That my faithful father is somehow interacting or not interacting right now because our relationship has been founded on trust founded on trust yeah. folks trust needs the right environment trust needs the right environment what that means is this the right environment is not to be interpreted as the right circumstances the right environment is not to be interpreted as the right situation Whenever I say trust needs a right environment, what trust needs a right is a right environment, meaning it just needs the presence of the right person that you're in relationship that you trust. So what I'm saying is you can walk through the circumstances of what would seem like dismay, heartache, hell on earth, so to speak. But if your faithful father's in the middle of that, that's the right environment for trust. That's the... That's the right environment for trust because trust isn't so much invested in circumstances. It's invested in a person. Someone say amen. It's invested in a person. Everybody doing all right? Great glory. Amen. Hallelujah. So trust isn't life without failure. Okay? Trust isn't life without failure. It's about having the one that has been faithful to you and that you trust in in there when life does fail. 
It's about knowing the tendency, if you will, of your father. That when you can't feel his hand, you know he is still carefully watching every move. It's the eyes of the Lord that's taken in the scope of all of Solomon's life when he was in a backslidden state. Some thought that whenever they left God and they left the church, then it was seemingly just kind of dusting of the hands of God and had no more say so. Oh, you are so wrong. You're so wrong. That very relationship that you trusted so hard fastly in, he's letting you walk on the top of the wall without his hand, but he's not far away. Someone say yes. It's 1130. Should stand. I've not yet preached an hour. I'll try to get there before I finish. Stand with me. But I still go do some preaching. Just letting you stretch. So Moses has spoke those words. Joshua has spoke those words. And it almost seems a little peculiar. Moses is dead, the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua's in command. He's speaking the same words to the children of Israel. They're going to go into the promised land and they're going to start conquering their lands. And so the book of Joshua begins, if you will, with a high hand. The book of Joshua begins with triumph after triumph. But when you come to the last chapter of the book of Joshua, it ends with the recordings of a few different burials and deaths. I mean, what a way to end up. I mean, you're starting in triumph and you're ending with the death of your leader. You're dealing with the death of some important people. I mean, we read in Scripture that the death and burial of Joshua is recorded at the end of Joshua. The burial of the bones of Joseph are recorded at the end of Joshua. And the burial of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest, is recorded, all three of those, at the end of Joshua. This book that started with triumph. I mean, all of that seems just a little anticlimactic, don't it? I mean, what a way to end a very triumphant book with all these people dying in the end. I mean, Joshua's being buried here. Joshua's being buried at the end of this book. The very man that commissioned Israel to be strong and of good courage. I mean, the very man that had fought alongside the rest of Israel for seven years, conquering the land of Canaan. 31 different bishops, 31 different kings were defeated in those seven years of warfare. And the capstone to the stately record is that Joshua died that Eleazar died and that Joseph's bones were buried really as a matter of fact Joshua 21 verse 45 says this said there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken into the house of Israel all came to pass what that says everything that God said would happen happened Everything that God promised came to pass. It occurred. And so when we are standing here at the graves of these three notable men, Joshua and Joseph and Eleazar, these three graves are in essence, Bishop, bearing the very same record that God has kept his promise and that God has been faithful. And I'll tell you why. Because at one time, Joshua, Joseph, 
and Eleazar had all lived in a foreign nation. And while they were living in that foreign nation, God showed up and spoke to them. I'm going to take you to a land of promise where you and the generations after you are going to dwell and live your lives and have your families. As a matter of fact, Joseph, mind you, the, the bones of Joseph are being buried right now at the end. Joseph was so sure of this promise of God that he even requested for the nation of Israel to carry his bones all these years in the wilderness until they finally got to that place that God promised of and then bury him. I mean, Israel had been carrying the bones of Joseph around for years just for this moment. So here is the capstone. It looks like a barrel. It looks like a dirge. It looks like, man, everything's this downhill. Joshua's dying. Eliezer, all this. No, no, no. This is nothing more, Brother Terry McGee, but a testimony again to the faithfulness of God. Because while they put each of those, whether it be bones or body, into the ground, they're going in the ground of the promised land that God said would be theirs. They could have been buried in the wilderness. Some of them could have been buried in some other place in a foreign nation. But as they laid those bodies to rest in that land of promise, you know what's going through their mind? God's been faithful. We're right where God said we would be. And we've been able to trust him. We've been able to trust him all on the journey in so much that we're able to trust him even with the death of our lives. I mean, they're rest in the land of promise, Brother Cook. 600 years earlier, this had been prophesied to Father Abraham. And now their bodies are being laid in the very ground that God promised to him. Don't you tell me he's not faithful. Don't you tell me he's not faithful. What this is a testimony to is this. God has kept his word. God has been faithful. They have along the journey been strong and they have been courageous. This isn't a scene of defeat, Bishop. This isn't a scene of defeat. This is a testimony of a people who trusted in a faithful God. These are not monuments to men. These are monuments to the trust of a faithful God. we bow our heads all over this place this morning bow our heads all over this place this morning and so this past week God hasn't been surprised but some of y'all have it's been pretty pervasive as a matter of fact you talk with some of your brothers and sisters in Christ in this building so as I ended Sunday night with God is not surprised I start this Sunday morning with this trust in the Lord trust in the Lord sir ma'am be strong <laughs> middle aged elder be courageous fear not for the Lord our God is going to go with you wherever so ever you go I'm not telling you you'll always feel him but he's going to be there he'll be in the wing even when you can't see him he'll be in the wing even when you can't feel him you go on and jump because if necessary, he'll do what he needs to do. What he sees as fit. But just trust him. How? How? Take a moment right here on this Sunday morning. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.